You're listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast, the place for the kick-ass woman who needs a kick in the ass. Your host, Jen Rosenbaum, is giving you the tools to shed shame and live the biggest life possible. So kick off your heels, get comfy, and get ready to be the boss of your life. Hey guys, what's up? I am your host, Jen Rosenbaum, and I'm joined today by Lauren Trantham, my co-host. Hello, Lauren. Hey guys. How are you? Good. I good. always say, hey guys. Hey guys. <laughs> I know, we need like good like intro and outro lines. We need to talk yeah, about totally. So today I thought maybe we would take the podcast in a little bit of a different direction. And, you know, I talk a lot about on the podcast that I'm a breast cancer survivor and I make a lot of videos. I have a YouTube channel where I do a lot of breast cancer videos and I get a ton of feedback from those. Like, it's so funny with all the work I've done over the last 10 years with women's empowerment and photography and all the videos and everything I've made with that. The breast cancer videos are the ones that get the most attention, the most views, the most comments. And I just get a lot of feedback on it. So I thought maybe I would make a podcast with you about how I actually found my cancer. Cause that's like the number one question I get. How did they find it? Because everybody wants to know, right? Everyone's like, all right, if I know how you did it, or I know how that one did it, then I'll have all my bases covered. So I thought maybe today would be a good opportunity to kind of talk about that. And I know that we've talked a lot about it, but I was, th- it's funny. I was thinking that I don't even well, I'm going to go, I'll get through this, like telling about telling people and whatnot. But I was like, I don't even remember telling you, like, I don't even remember how I told you, like there's certain things that are like blacked out in a way in my mind. So I find that these videos and these podcasts are very helpful because when somebody asks me, how'd you find it? It's not an easy answer. So it's better for me to say, here's my podcast, listen to it. You can, you know, hear the whole story. And um, since you've been with me through the whole journey, maybe you can, you know, add some stuff to that. So yeah, absolutely. Cool. So uh, my journey really started in 2016. It was my first mammogram. I was 40 years old and yeah, 40-ish years old. (laughs) And I went for a mammogram, a routine mammogram, and everything was fine except they saw some calcifications on the left-hand side of my left breast. So they asked me to come back in six months. So I went back in six months. They said the calcifications looked the same, not a big deal. Come back in six months. And if you come back in six months and it looks good, we'll have you come in another year. I said, great, no problem. So fast forward to January, 2017, that was the one year mark. And they looked at my chest and they said, well, the calcifications are the same. So there's nothing to worry about, but we see some cysts on the right-hand side of your right breast. So come back in six months and we'll double check those. Okay, great. No problem. So somewhere between January, 2017 and July, 2017 is when I went for my appointment. I took a selfie one day or I took a photo and I happened to have just noticed a bump. I thought it was from your photo shoot that you did in Vegas, right? That too. It was that too. I saw it there too. Okay. Um, but it was right around, I think it was prior to, I just remember being in my dining room mirror, taking a picture and just seeing the shadow on my chest and going, what is that? That's just so weird. I don't remember seeing that, but I was working out a lot at the time and I, you know, had lost a little bit of weight. So I was like, oh, it just kind of feels like a muscle. Now this was because it was higher, right? It was high up on my breast. It was like sort of like in my somewhere between the breast and the chest, where there's still breast tissue, but it's you would consider it more like your chest. Like it's an area that you would show if you were wearing a low cut shirt. You wouldn't feel like, oh, that's my boob, you know? It's like right. it'd be okay. And 
it didn't feel like a lump. And that was, that's not the number one thing. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I was like, I need to get the word out there that breast cancer doesn't always feel like a lump. So it felt like a muscle. It felt like a swollen muscle. And I remember at one point even asking my husband, like, what is this? And he was like, oh, it just kind of feels like a swollen muscle. And I was like, that's what I thought too. And he was like, well, why don't you call the doctor? Now I'm not like really, I'm not one of those people that calls doctors for everything. I hate to say, but, um, I was like, I was just there in January. I got the, okay. I'm going back in a few weeks. I'm just going to wait, you know, it's probably nothing. So I waited. So July 10th, I went in for a sonogram, not a mammogram because they were just supposed to be checking on those cysts. And that was it. If you have dense breasts, ladies, please make sure you're getting sonograms as well, because I did have dense breasts and a lot of things don't show up on mammograms. A lot of people don't know that. So um, I always made sure to get sonograms as well. So they did the sonogram and they checked the side and everything, you know, they said, okay, this just looked the same. And I said to them, you know, it was like almost an afterthought. Like I almost forgot to ask them. I said, you know, while I'm here, can you just check this spot? I have like some weird thing here. I don't know what it is. And she's pressing down with the sonogram machine, pressing down, nothing showing. And then all of a sudden she presses really hard and this giant like football size hole comes up on the screen. I was like, what is that? And she just said to me, you have a lot going on here. I'm going to go get the doctor. Never a good sign. So she goes to get the doctor, doctor comes in and he said to me, listen, you know, I'm not, whatever that is, I'm not letting you leave here without a biopsy. I will call right now and I'll get a prescription and I'll, you know, I'll do the whole thing. I'll get it covered by your insurance, but we, I will not let you leave here without a biopsy. Okay. So they biopsy it, which involves a needle of course. And they take some uh, fluid or whatever it is that it is out. And then they also put in a titanium marker and the titanium marker is so that they can see where the mass is. So they put the titanium marker in and then they do a mammogram and the mammogram will show the titanium marker. So they'll be able to see if they can find it on the mammogram. So they put the titanium, they, they took the biopsy, they put the titanium marker in, they sent me in for a mammogram. I come out, the doctor sits me down. Now this is the doctor who every time has seen something and obviously he's being overly concerned about everything. He's always been like, it's not a big deal. There's like a 2% chance you have cancer. Like, don't worry about it. Don't lose sleep over it. Okay. He sat me down and he said to me, this isn't good. And I was like, what do you mean? It's not good. Like, come on. I was just here six months ago. Like, what are you even talking about? And he just said to me, listen, I've seen a lot of things. I can tell you right now that this is cancer. And he said, it's, a ve- it's very, very, very slight chance that it's something else. And, and my husband said to him, well, what if, what if it is? Like, what else could it be? And he basically turned to my husband and said, there's nothing else it can be. So uh, it did not show up on the mammogram, by the way, even with the titanium marker, did not show up on the mammogram at all. And this is why I try to explain to people, it's really important you get sonograms as well, because cancer doesn't always show up. It's not so simple. So I have something, or I had something called invasive lobular carcinoma. There's two different types of breast cancer. There's ductal carcinoma and lobular carcinoma. And there's different variations of each, but essentially, and I'm not a doctor here, people, so please don't take anything I'm about to say or that I've already said as medical advice. You need to speak to your doctor about it. I'm just telling you my experience um, and my limited knowledge of uh, you know Googling and <laughs> reading uh, about what this is. But essentially, lobular invasive lobular carcinoma does not have a protein that ductal carcinoma has to keep the cells together in a tumor. So instead of being actually 
like a lump that you would normally be told to feel for, it actually spread out through the lobules of my breast, which is why it felt like a swollen muscle. So I didn't have any of the other signs. I didn't have dimpling. I didn't have inverted nipples. I didn't have leaky nipples. I didn't, I had no other sign of being sick really at all, except I was really tired. And I remember about a week before I was diagnosed, I was in San Francisco and I said to my husband, like, I just need to lay down for 15 minutes. I'm not feeling great. I don't know why. And I took like a four hour nap, which is not me at all. Like I'm the type of person I lay on the couch, 10 minutes, I'm up, I'm ready to go. And I just couldn't like find my energy, you know, but otherwise showed no signs of being sick at all. And in fact, always took really good care of myself. I always worked out. I always ate well took my vitamins. I did everything that everybody told me I should do. I did yoga and I ran and I didn't drink a lot of alcohol and, you know, I did everything everyone said. So July 10th, I had the, um, biopsy July 12th, 2017. I got the official diagnosis that it was invasive lobular carcinoma. And, you know, it's so interesting because that whole time was sort of a blur for me. (laughs) Like I look back and I think, oh my God, I'm pretty sure I told everybody I had cancer over text message, (laughs) like, you know, or the people that I did tell, because, uh, I didn't know. I was just like, yeah, I have cancer. Like it was just so black and white. It was like, for me, it wasn't like what I thought it was going to be. Like, I always thought if I ever got cancer, it would probably be so devastating. And how do you get out of bed? And, you know, how do you, handle something like that. And I would become a vegan immediately. And I, okay, well, you can drop all those stereotypes that you think, or those, those presumptions that you think you're going to do, or you think it's going to be like, because I immediately went for the brownies and I was like, I just want a brownie. I can't believe I have cancer. But also when you're the patient, you, your mind can't wrap your head around like this completely, right? It can only take little bits of information at a time. So that week where I got the diagnosis and then I didn't see a doctor for another week, right? Cause you can't, you can't just call up and be like, I have cancer. I need a doctor's appointment tomorrow because everybody that's calling is in the same position. So it's about a week. So within that week, it was a very, that was probably the hardest part was that week because you had no idea, like, am I dying or is this treatable? Is this a lumpectomy or is this a mastectomy? Is this, you know, one boob being taken off? Is it two boobs being taken off? You know, there's so many questions. And yes, you do start asking like, did I tell my children I love them enough? Do I, you know, am I prepared for this? Am I, but I'm not done on earth yet. I don't understand, you know, why this is happening to me. There's a lot of these dark and light moments, I guess, in that week. Once you get a plan, you kind of go, okay, well, I know my plan and I'm just going to do it. You don't worry about what's going to be, what's going to happen, what's life going to be like after, what's going to, how is this going to affect me physically? And you just go, all right, I'm ready to fight for my life, you know? And I've seen it with family members that have since gone through cancer where they don't, you know, there's, there's so much more worry from a supporter point of view than there is in the patient. You know, like sometimes I think it's easier to go through the journey as a the patient because you don't think about all the, you know, you just go, all right, whatever, we're going to fight. We're going to be strong. So I decided to have a bilateral mastectomy. And the interesting thing is that when you go to see a doctor for something like this, you know, you, if you go to see a doctor, Lauren, right, you're like, okay, I have a sore throat. I might have strep throat. And they do a strep test and they say, here's amoxicillin, have a good day. Right. For the most part, you get an answer. When you go to a doctor for cancer, there are no answers. We are all 
mix, you know? So you go in and they say, well, here's your options. You can have a lumpectomy and radiation. You can have a single mastectomy or you can have a double mastectomy. Which would you like? It's like a, right. it's like a restaurant, right? It's like <laughs> a menu. Yeah. Which would you like? And you're like, are you kidding me? I found right. out I have cancer five minutes ago. I know nothing about cancer. Now you're asking right. me to make a decision on this. But I made sure to educate myself. And uh, I said to my doctor, I, I got two opinions. And I said to both doctors, if I told you that I wanted to have a bilateral mastectomy, would you tell me I was right? You know, and mm-hmm. or would you know? Would you think that that would be a good idea? And my breast surgeon that I ended up using, uh, Doctor Van Z at Memorial Sloan Kettering, she's amazing. I love her. So shout out to her. She said to me, "I would think that that would be the right decision." Right. You know, they don't, they don't want to tell you what the right thing is because they really don't even know. Yeah, and they can't. And there's all those legalities and yeah, it's really stressful. Crazy. So I ended up having a bilateral mastectomy on August second, two thousand seventeen. It was two days before my forty second birthday. Um, it was just so fast. She wanted to do it July 26th, by the way. Wow. And I saw her on July 19th. Can you even imagine? Like, I was yeah. like, I think I need a little more time than that. Um, and sometimes, sometimes I wonder if I rushed into it. Like, in hindsight, I go, did I rush into it? Should I have tried other things first? Should I have done this? But the thing is, you're so scared. You're like, just yeah. get out of your body. Just get it out. Yeah you know? And then I realized that I really did make the right decision because when I had the mastectomy, they told me that she told me in her words, my right breast was littered with cancer. I had a seven millimeter mass and I had another three millimeter mass underneath it. Um, and that on the other side, I had something called LCIS, which is lobular carcinoma in situ, which means it's, it's, um, encapsulated. So it's not gone anywhere. And, um, they don't treat it like cancer. So there's, there's two different types of insight to there's lobular and there's ductal DCIS. DCIS is treated like cancer. Uh, they treat that, but they don't treat LCIS like cancer. However, considering I had cancer there, it is a marker that you have a higher risk of cancer, I guess. So I'm very grateful that I decided to have both breasts removed because I really did need it. You know, and it's just, it's just interesting. You know, I never really was one for like self exams. I always kind of thought, you know what? I don't have cancer in my family. I certainly don't have breast cancer in the family. And, you know, nobody really, it doesn't really affect us. So it's all good. You know, like I'm not going to get cancer. Um, I, I advocate to everybody now, feel your boobs, feel your boobs. And you know, it, mm-hmm. it's hard to, like they say, do it a week before your period or whatever it is, or a week after your period, or I don't know when it is. Uh, you know what? If, if worse comes to worse and you can't remember when to do it, do it the first of every month. Right. Just you know, do it. Just do it. Right. Today, actually, today is, no, is today May 2nd or May 1st? Today's the first. Today's the first. So this is not airing on the first, but just so you guys know, today is the first. So uh, it's a good reminder that mm-hmm. on the first of every month, you know, to feel the boobs, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if anything is a little off or strange or whatever, don't be afraid to call your doctor. You know, as women, we're so afraid of being annoying and I don't want to, yeah, you know, um, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? See, I still have chemo brain every now and again. Like Like, uh, hypochondriac or or bothersome. Yes. I don't want to be a hypochondriac or I don't want people to think I'm over-exaggerating, but you know, breast health is a big issue. I mean, one out of eight women in America get breast cancer and on Long Island, it's more like one out of seven now. Um, our rates of breast cancer here are much higher than they are in the rest of the country. So, so by the way, that change environmental, um, you know, I don't know. It's funny because I mean, how could it not be right? You know, I don't know. 
I don't know if it's something in the water. I don't know if it's environmental. I don't know if it's a genetic thing. I mean, there's a lot of Jewish people on Long Island and Ashkenazi Jews do carry the BRCA genes. I don't, but a lot of them do. So it could just be, you know, demographics. It could be, there's so many things it could be. Right. You know, the truth is if we had the answer, we wouldn't be getting the cancer. So. Right. I don't know. Well, I remember, so you, I think you did tell us over text because you and I are in a three-way text with our other dear friend, Allie Dudley, but we had been in the, it wasn't like you just dropped that on us. Like we had been in the process because you did have that photo shoot. We were all together in Vegas. And then after that, you were kind of noticing that, that kind of that growth or that lump in photos. And so we were all like abreast of the situation, no pun intended. Can't believe I just said that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But when, you know, when we knew, we knew what time your appointments were and we were like waiting on pins and needles to hear the the diagnosis. And, um, but I did see that in you. I saw just like a a shift to warrior status. Like you were like, I don't have time. Like ain't nobody got time for this. Right. It was really inspirational to see and like just how like right away you jumped on Facebook live and you shared it with your online community and went viral. And it was, I mean, it's just so, it's just so who you are. Like it just amplified. I think this kind of tragedy or struggle or whatever you want to call it just amplified who you are and um, the way that you continue to share about it as well. It's, it's changing people's lives. So I think this podcast is really important and I'm, I'm so like, because I'm out of the loop as well, right? Like I don't have cancer in my family. I never really think about it. Just remembering, like I know Allie went right out and got tested. It's just so important. Yeah. Yeah. So think about this. My mom, she'll probably kill me for saying this in public. She didn't get a mammogram for 10 years. Wow. Well, aren't they like pushing it out longer now too? Like you don't have to get it every year anymore. Well, now they're saying, I think 45 is the earliest age you should get it. I mean, it's so weird in a time where cancer is like spiking. Yeah. And I think that that's why you really need to be your own advocate. You know, Mm -hmm. you really do. You really need to be able to say, I want this. I need this. You know, cancer at a younger age is becoming more and more common. Mm -hmm. Um, I I wasn't young, but I certainly wasn't old, you know, over 40s. Like I shouldn't be dealing with cancer, you know, um, and listen, it's still, it's still, it's been almost two years. And I think when people say, when people hear this and they say, oh, it's almost two years, she should be over it by now or whatever. It's still a daily struggle. And I remember Lauren, I was walking on the street once and I was listening. Um, I was in the city and I was overhearing a conversation. A guy was talking to, I don't know who, but he said something like, well, my wife had breast cancer. It's, you know, it's funny how you hear people's conversations and they stick with you and you don't know why. And then now like, I understand why it stuck with me. He said, well, my wife had breast cancer three years ago, but she just hasn't been the same since she's still struggling with her body and, and everything. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, I should give him my card. Maybe his wife needs a shoot, you know, and, and that'll just give her like, you know, her, her self-esteem back. And it's just that simple, you know, it's just like, you're three years out. How could you even be affected by it still? I didn't understand how it still continuously, there's a ripple effect from this and that the warrior status, when you're trying to save your life is nothing compared to the warrior status you have to be after you're done with treatment and you're trying to put your life back together. Yeah. Well, you, you said that you, you know, you were saying that like one, you had all of this, like, I don't want to say pressure, but like the buildup to the surgery and the mastectomy and like, what are they going to find? What's going to happen? Like after, after that, when it's like, okay, you got your clean bill. I don't remember you being like relieved 
in a sense of like, okay, it's all better. I remember you being like, okay, now the, like the grief starts and the processing because you weren't able to do that for so long because you were literally just in survival mode. So it was almost like I saw you have like an even more emotional response after it was kind of quote unquote finished, right? Right. Cause it's not finished, but yeah, that, that was where it was like, you were kind of sharing with us like, wow, I'm really struggling. And there's so many emotions that you have to process after that. Yeah. And I'm still, I'm still processing. Yeah. Summer's coming. Uh, <laughs> and I love summer, but the thought of putting on a bathing suit doesn't make me so happy. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's very hard to find a bathing suit that fits my chest the way I would want it to fit and make it look. And it ruins it a little for me. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, there's a part of me that's like, come on, don't be such a, you know, baby, you're alive. Go to the beach. Right. Oh, shit, what your boobs look like. Like, you know, but there's still that morning of like, oh, my bathing suits don't fit me anymore. And yeah you know, it's just not the same and I need to cover my scars or, or maybe I don't want to cover my scars, but then I have to expect the questions and the staring and the, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's tough. It's, it is tough. And I'm still being treated in, you know, in the way of medication and certain struggles. And I've talked about it on my Facebook page, uh, my YouTube channel, if you guys are interested in seeing that, but you know, being put into menopause and and trying different medications. Cause the thing is, like I said, we're all guinea pigs. So they don't really know the answer, but like a new study comes out and now they're going to change your medication and see if that works better for you. And you know, you're just a statistic. It's really all you are the whole time, you know? Right. We'll see if it works on you. Like it worked on this five-year study that we had and you know, it's, uh, it doesn't, it, there is no end to it. And I didn't realize that, you know, yeah. and I think a lot of people still, you know, they'll say, oh, well, you're done though, though, right? You're done. Yeah. Well, yeah. I finished chemo and I finished my surgeries, but right. you know, I'm not really done. And even that surgery was such a long recovery. Like people, I think people don't understand. They're like, oh, you just get like, like you, you've posted about this and you've talked about this. Like, oh, it's just like getting a boob job. But it's like, it's a major amputation and you have all of those muscles, like everything holding your pecs together and your shoulders and the way that it wraps around your ribs to your back. And like, I remember like you couldn't raise your arms forever. I'm still having You would show us in videos. You'd be like, this is how high I can raise my arms. And it'd just be like a couple of inches and like, oh man. Yeah. Like, is it a trip to think back on everything you've went through? It is. And you know, I'm really grateful. Like I would make videos every week during my recovery. And I'm so glad I did because sometimes I go back and look at them. Like if somebody comments on it, I'll, I'll watch the video again because I'm like, what are they commenting on? I need to like, remember what I said. And sometimes I cry because I'm like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe yeah. I did that. Like that is so, I feel so bad for that woman you know, but in the moment I couldn't process it that way. And I, and I'm just really glad that I, I can remember what it felt like through the videos, because like I said, there is so much of it that you kind of block out that your mind doesn't want to remember because it's too hard. There's so many fine details that I am not even, you know, covering in this podcast, but I just want to really, you know, drive it home to people that it's so important for them to do self-checks, to be their own advocates, to talk to their doctors, you know, and, I don't think that anything I could have done would have prevented this. This is obviously my path for whatever reason. Um, but I do think that I'm really grateful I found it because you know people are afraid of 
getting cancer. And my answer to them is you shouldn't be afraid of getting cancer. You should be afraid of not finding cancer. You know, you shouldn't be afraid of finding cancer. You shouldn't be afraid of not finding cancer because had I not gone to the doctor, had I not said to them, Hey, can you just check this spot? I'd probably still be sitting here going, this is so weird. I don't know what this is, you know, just to just take care of yourself, you know, and be your own advocate. And just know that even if you go to yoga and you drink the green juice and you take care of yourself and you're fit and you don't drink and all the, the and you breastfed and all of the things that they tell you to do, doesn't mean you can't get cancer. Right. You know, one of the things I learned about cancer that I didn't know was that everybody, this was a very eye-opening uh, read for me that everybody really has cancer cells in their body at one point or another, right? Everybody has them. It's a matter of if your body can fight them off or not. And the reason why your body can't fight them off, we'll never know. Like I said, it might be genetics, it might be toxins, it, you know, environmental, whatever. There's a million different reasons why. Age, you know, there, there's a lot of different reasons. But what it made me really understand after was that like, I have to understand that even though I don't have cancer anymore, knock wood, I'm going to have to knock some wood somewhere. And I had chemotherapy and I had the surgeries and all of that. I still have the same body that I got cancer in, in the first place. So it's my concern about reoccurrence is not, Oh, my breast cancer is going to come back. Although that's possible. And I hope it doesn't happen, but It's, I need to create a body now that will not allow cancer cells to survive anymore. And how do I do that? So now the survival for me or the treatment for me is really about that. How do I create an environment in which cancer can be killed Mm -hmm. in my body? Because there's many of us that get cancer and don't even know we ever had it because our body just takes care of it. Mm -hmm. You know, so how do I, how do I become that person (laughs) is really what I'm trying to figure out. Wow. Do you feel like you can drive yourself crazy with that too? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. People can't see you, but I can see you and your eyes just got real big. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, when I, when I was first diagnosed, I, I like stopped eating, which if you know me, I love food. So it was very strange, but I couldn't eat. It was like everything I put in my mouth, I thought was poison. Like right. that's what caused my cancer is that, and I still go through that. I still have a very strange relationship with food because I get really scared. I'll hear something like the medical medium will say, don't eat eggs. And I'll be like, Oh my God, I can't ever eat eggs again. Or this one will say, don't eat meat, don't have dairy. And then what are you left with? You know? And I, I went to an integrative doctor last week and part of that reason. And I said to her was like, I have a really bad relationship with food right now because I'm scared that everything I'm doing is poison because I did all the right things and I still got cancer. So now what do I do? And you're, if you put me on the same diet or lifestyle that I was on before, I'm going to, it's going to make me very paranoid. And that, that lifestyle was good. It was healthy. I was thin, I was active. I was, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking. You know, cancer loves sugar, they say. So you try not to have sugar. You know, I hear keto diets help with cancer, but I was on a keto, keto diet when I was diagnosed with cancer. And then the medical medium came out and said, well, high fat diets, don't allow for enough oxygen in the blood and a lack of oxygen in the blood causes cancer. And I'm like, Oh my God, did I cause my own cancer with the keto? You know, it's like, you just don't know. In some ways I get very envious of people that have the gene, even though it's a terrible thing to have, because obviously I have a daughter and I don't want to have the gene and I don't, you know, I don't want to pass that on, but sometimes I'm envious of the people that have the gene because at least they have an answer. Right. At least they knew. Right. Yeah. And they have, they have a, like a way to combat that in their mind. Yeah. Oh man, what a trip. I think that like, I think you can't really even talk about cancer either without talking about PTSD. 
Oh my God. Because like to, to walk in and say like, Oh, I have a weird relationship with food. Like, I think that's almost minim- minimizing it. Like, it's not like you have a, like a weird relationship with food. Like you, you have trauma around that. Yes. I have a lot of trauma and I didn't really realize it until recently. I was in the hospital with a family member and it really got me. It really got me. Um, you know, I had chemotherapy through an IV. I didn't have a port. I had it through my IV and it was a big needle and it really sucked. Like every, I mean, my, my vein that they went through is still bruised to this day. It was just so, um, damaging. And so I was with a family member and they were, um, you know, giving him an IV and they had trouble getting the IV in and my body had a physical reaction to it. It was like, I had to leave the room. I, I was like sweating. It was like cold sweats and my heart was racing. And I was like, I can't breathe right now. I have to get out of here. And I don't have a problem with needles. Like I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I get more needles than anybody, you know, like I'm, I'm so used to it. I get a shot once a month. I get blood taken all the time. You know, it's, uh, needles don't bother me, but there's, there's reactions. And the PTSD is, is man, it could just be the smell of like yesterday I bought, um, soup and they wrap the soup in saran wrap. Do you know that saran wrap smell? Something about it reminds me of a hospital. Right. I don't know if it's, yeah, I don't know what it is, but it smelled like a hospital. And I was, I, I couldn't eat the soup. You know, like I was instantly nauseous. I had a lot of like anticipatory nausea when I would go for chemo. And so even now when I go to Sloan, even to just get a shot or whatever, there's times where I feel very nauseous. I was talking to somebody else recently about their chemo treatments and I couldn't get through the conversation without being like, I got to stop talking about this because it's making me ill right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the body still has very physical reactions to certain things. Yeah, there's a lot of PTSD. And I'm not really sure how to work through that just yet. You know, that's something I'm still exploring and I work with a therapist and they want to just like, this is, this is the crazy thing about medicine, right? They just want to put you on more medicine to fix it. You know, they say, oh, well, if you take Prozac, it will help with your hot flashes and it will also help with your, you know, feelings of PTSD and and whatever it is you have going on. And I'm like, I don't want to put more stuff in my body. Like, I just want to deal with what the issue is. Right. But then I'm on Prozac. So, right. And again, no no judgments, you know, if somebody is, but it's like, I don't want to just keep putting band-aids on my boo-boos. Like I want to heal my boo-boos. Well, I know like, you know, working in the anti-human trafficking realm. And then I do, I do a little, I do a little bit with veterans. Um, and so I'm, I'm super interested in PTSD and complex PTSD. And I, I learn a lot about it through the conferences I go to. And I know that the EMDR is having, people are having a lot of success with that type of therapy and it, it involves like eye, eye movement. Um, mm-hmm. So you might check that out. It's called EMDR. And um, yeah, I think that that's like one of the, one of the leading treatments for PTSD right now. So you might look for it in your area. Mm, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. You know, it's weird because it's like you have really good days where you're like, oh, I'm fine. I'm great. You know, like I, this is all good. And then you have some days where you're like, oh, I just can't. I can't get out of bed today. I just can't like, I can't, I can't adult today. Yeah. You know, and it's hard because you, you are like, okay, you realize that you have limited time on earth, whether you've had cancer or not, you know, but cancer kind of gives you that perspective. And you're like, I don't want to waste a day by feeling bad for myself and, and laying in bed or being on the couch. But then there's just some days you just need that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, listen, I say this all the time. 
cancer is not just a disease of the breast, but a disease of the mind, because it is yeah. certainly the biggest mind fuck I've ever had in my entire life and continue to have. And I don't want to make it sound like it's all terrible, by the way. There's a lot of beautiful gifts that I've been given from cancer, um, new friendships and connections and new perspective and you know, lots of life changes, lots and lots and lots of life changes um, that are still happening all the time. Um, new opportunities that have opened up for me. You know, there's a lot of things that uh, cancer has changed in my life for the better. Um, but you got to find it. You do have to find it because it's very easy for the darkness to sort of overshadow the light. So I'm always looking for the light. Such a good reminder. And like for anybody who's dealing with anything that feels really dark, just keep keep looking for things that bring you light. Yeah. And keep reaching out to your friends and. Yeah. And like you were saying before, like self-care, be an advocate for yourself and take care of yourself. Yeah. It's hard, but it's doable. On the topic of light, should we do a shine card? Yes. Just want to thank you for sharing, Jenny. You have so much courage in, in all that you share. And I know that it helps people. So I'm, I'm a little bit of that person here to like cheerlead you on as like, keep doing podcasts like this. Cause I know people are going to love it when they listen. Thank you. And I really do want to tell anybody out there who is listening that's struggling with anything, but especially cancer or supporting somebody with cancer. If you have questions, concerns, or you need a, an ear, I'm here. You know, I, I did speak to a woman recently who called me and was like, I'm suicidal. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with myself. And I was like, well, we need to talk, <laughs> you know, because, uh, that's not okay. And, um, yeah. All right. So let's read, let's read a shine card. I'm here for you. If you need me, let's read a shine card. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is a fun one. Always glitter with a radiance that shines from deep within you. Barbara Becker Holstein. I like that. Mm, glitter. Always glitter with a radiance that shines from deep within you. Barbara Becker Holstein. I love glitter. <laughs> Sounds great. Love the light. Love the shine cards. Thank you guys for joining today. Um, if you have any more questions, again, you can always find my YouTube channel. Uh, it's under Jen Rosenbaum. You can find me on Instagram at Jen Rosenbaum, where I actually share a lot more thoughts about cancer as well as self-portraits uh, about my journey. And you can also find more information about this podcast and the Shamelessly Feminine movement at, at Shamelessly Feminine. And you can find Lauren at, at Ride My Road, right? That's right. That's right. All right. So you guys, if you have a moment and you love this podcast, please make sure that you give us a five-star rating and leave a little review. I appreciate you all for listening. And we are open for topics that you guys want us to talk about. So if you have a suggestion, please reach out to me, jenrosenbaum at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. I hope you have a great week. And Lauren, it's always good to see you. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Shamelessly Feminine Podcast. If you loved what you heard, be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes so that more women can learn to live a badass life. To learn more about this movement, go to shamelesslyfeminine.com and join our Shamelessly Feminine Facebook group. Until next time, go out there and be the boss of your life.